Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard. And I'm Stefan Cohn. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. On today's show, we're wrapping up our celebration of National Pie Month with two of our favorites, Key Lime and Marion Berry. And we'll stop by pie school one last time with a lesson on making pie crust ahead of time. So pour yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Hey, Andrea. I wanted to follow up on a discussion we had while we were stopped at Intimidation Station last episode in episode 15. Sure. We were talking about meringue, and you made the really excellent point that meringue can be an option for folks who are dairy-free, not egg-free, who might otherwise be using a whipped cream topping. Mm Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, what are the options for folks who are vegan, so would also be egg-free? Ooh, challenge. Have you you heard of aquafaba? Never. Aquafaba is a meringue-like substance that's made out of the liquid from chickpeas. And it is an incredible phenomenon on the internet. What is it? A, so it's a liquid that you buy? It's been like extracted from a garbanzo bean? No. So if you think about if you either boil your own dried beans or mm-hmm. you open a can of chickpeas, there's mm-hmm. kind of that juice that comes yeah. in a can of beans. Kinda so gooey. you are, yeah, like a goo. You are pulling that off, doing okay. something else with the with the chickpeas, and then you beat the resulting liquid and darned if it doesn't look exactly like meringue. I have only a little experience using a chickpea, and that's in a flour. I used a chickpea flour for a friend's birthday cake once, and I have to say I wasn't a huge fan. I like chickpeas in something savory, but that Mm -hmm. flour was a little beany for me. However, this is really fascinating. If you add a little sugar, maybe... Maybe that takes care of the of the beaniness. I don't know. But the applications, there's a wonderful, very straightforward website called aquafaba.com, and that's A-Q-U-A-F-A-B-A.com, and it tells you everything you need to know here. Uh, you can use it in savory applications. You can, like a souffle, for example, they say. And then again, that meringue. It looks exactly like egg white meringue, and it seems to beat up the same way, too. So just an out there kind of suggestion for folks who might be looking for an alternative to a standard egg meringue. Oh, I am fascinated by this. I am dying to hear if anyone has heard of this before, if they've tried it, if they're fooling anyone when they serve it. I always um, use garbanzo beans a lot. I love them in salads. I make my own hummus. Um, I roast them in the oven and kind of use them as a snack. So oh, yeah, we do. I that. have that uh, liquid. I just always rinse it off. But you know, if I could use it for something else, I'm willing to give it a whirl. So thank you. Yeah, so give it a try, listeners, or Andrea, or whenever you're roasting up chickpeas next, and and let us know. I mean, I think it's one of those things that if it's good, I could probably eat the whole batch myself and convince myself I'm having my vegetables. So <laughs> there, there, yeah, there is a good way we can um, convince ourselves that we're being healthy. Yeah, (laughs) you bet. I can always find a way. There you go. Well, what's going on with you, Andrea? I wanted to 
let you know that one of your book suggestions it has been treating me well. Ooh. And that's the Garlic and Sapphires oh, from Ruth Reichel. Garlic and Sapphires. Yes, love that book. I'm loving it. I had a lot of travel this last week. And so I did something that I don't usually do. I bought it in audiobook form. Ooh, who reads it? Uh, she actually reads oh, it. Oh, good. Reads she it. does. I know, okay. Yeah. Unusual. Yeah. Usually you have someone else read it. But I, I noticed on the cover it said read by the author. So that was appealing to me. And um, it's just so much fun. It's a really fun, fun story. And I love that at the end of every chapter, there's a recipe that ties into the story. So yep. last night I made the Thai noodles. Oh, great. And, um, I had them again this morning for breakfast. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and the true measure of a recipe's success, as far as I'm concerned, is this good kind of 24 hours a day? Yes. <laughs> yes. And room temperature. You know, mm, if you, you can go. wake up, pull something out of the fridge, and 30 minutes later eat it, and it tastes good, that is a winning recipe for you me. Bet. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, my favorite pasta carbonara that I've been making for years and years now came from that book. I know you had said that. I haven't gotten to that chapter yet, so I'm anxiously awaiting when I get there. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you for that feedback. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to share with you and our listeners is just how it appears that Biscoff cookies are taking over our nation. Yes. <laughs> since, since you and I, and, quote unquote, discovered mm, that. Yes, yes. I think we have some powerful listeners. <laughs> So, um, you know, you and I had not even heard of it before. And so it was a brand new thing for us. And then we talked on a previous episode about how I then ran into them on the plane as a plane snack. I ran into them at the food bank. Yesterday, I was listening to another recommendation from you. I pulled up the Milk Street podcast. Oh, yeah, with Chris, Chris Kimball. Christopher Kimball. Well, of course, you can call him Chris. Being Chris. Your, your husband's met him. I'll stick with yeah. Christopher. CK, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> And he was interviewing Dory Greenspan. Oh, yeah. Lady. And she was talking about how in France, often people don't feel that pressure to make a dessert that's entirely homemade. They will maybe make part of it homemade, but then use store-bought ingredients for the rest. And so she mentioned, like, you can buy a pre-made meringue in France or what? a berry coulis <laughs> or something like that. So I thought that was fabulous. And then she said, and I, you know, I've even taken this a step further. Like, I will buy these cookies called Biscoff cookies, oh. and I'll crumble them up. And I use them as um, pie crust or crust in desserts. And I love to sprinkle them over the top of a fresh panna cotta. Mm-hmm. Dory, mm, you heard it here first. Preheated. <laughs> and then yesterday in my, you know, twice monthly Costco run, as I was walking down the aisle looking at the snacks, what did I come across but an enormous new item at Costco? Yes, it's the four pack of Biscoff cookies. And, you know, you sent me that picture, and it looked like just the most giant display. The picture, maybe it was just the perspective you took it from, but it seemed to just be reaching. (laughs) No, it's huge. And I know for 100% certain that was not there when you and I were looking for our Biscoff cookies. No, and you know, the other thing now that you say that is my regular grocery store is not a huge chain. It's kind of an independent grocery store in Seattle. And what did they have the other day on the aisle that has never been there before? The crunchy and the creamy Biscoff. I know. We're trendsetters. That's (laughs) all it is. That's the only conclusion. (laughs) That's the only conclusion. The last thing I wanted to share came from listener Jeannie, who you know. Oh, listener Jeannie, shout out. She gave me a heads up that she actually recently made a Biscoff banana bread. 
So that sounds real good. Was <laughs> that with the Biscoff cookie butter? <laughs> so yes, taking two of our suggestions and blending them in together. The recipe did call for both Biscoff cookies and Biscoff cookie butter. She couldn't find either of those. So she had to substitute. She substituted um, Pepperidge Farm shortbread cookies for the Biscoff cookies, and she used the um, Trader Joe's Speculoos cookie butter for the cookie butter. All right. But she, she's going to send me the recipe, and since of course, I now know where to get Biscoff. I'm going to try and make some Biscoff banana bread because I now love all things Biscoff. Oh, once again, I just don't know if this is good news or... <laughs> it's good news. No, it's no, a, of course. Of course it is. And, and Jeannie's such an awesome baker and cook that she um, I'm sure that her, um, her recipe is fantastic. Not to mention um, those variations sound like they were probably really good too. But mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. yeah, just a little store called Costco seems to have them now, listeners. So... <laughs> What an impulse buy. I could just see myself loading up the whole like pallet and and making a break for it. Uh, Hilarious. Well, speaking of really good things, we made our quote unquote desperation pie from Mm -hmm. last week and it was a chocolate chess pie. The recipe came from a wonderful blog called Spicy Southern Kitchen and a blogger named Kristen. I also am going to have a problem with this pie, Andrea, because frankly, (laughs) here's what it is. It's a brownie in a pie. (laughs) That's exactly the same conclusion I came to. And it might not surprise you to know, um, or those of our listeners who know us personally, Stefan, always organized, always prepared, probably made this chocolate chess pie well ahead of time. I just (laughs) finished my first slice. I had it for lunch. Um, (laughs) So that I could, which ended about five minutes ago, so that I could review it in time for our podcast. And as I was eating it, that was my first thought. As I said, this is a brownie pie. And once again, (laughs) I, I said at the beginning of our podcasting, I don't bring brownies into my house because I'll eat the whole pan. Now what am I gonna do? I have a brownie pie sitting in my house. I really wish we were closer because I would eat that brownie <laughs> pie for you. I, <laughs> you're that good of a friend. I know. I would take. I would just take that one. Um, I loved this pie, and this pie was so easy. It reminded me of making a pumpkin pie. You have the eggs and the evaporated milk, some vanilla, sugar, your cocoa powder. It really is a pantry pie. I think that's what you had mentioned. You guys called them growing up um, last episode. Just things you're going to have on hand. You don't have to run to the market for any of this. And that was true for me. I don't know about you, but when I looked at the ingredients and went down the list, I thought, this is great. I do have every single one of these things. Now, some people might not have evaporated milk. I think last time I bought it, I bought a six-pack. So that's why I had some laying around. Yep, And keeps keeps for a long time. So just a good Mm -hmm. thing to have on your shelf. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. this would be a good pie to have at Thanksgiving because the pumpkin pie recipe that I make calls for just uh, some kind of fraction of a full can. And I think you could use easily then the rest of the can mm-hmm. making this chocolate pie. I might add some sure. nuts next time, but it was literally, I don't know, it took me like seven minutes to make this pie, not including the crust. Agreed. I decided to be a good podcaster friend and follow the recipe exactly, but I was so tempted. I really wanted to throw in uh, something spicy, like a quarter teaspoon of cayenne or something like that. Ooh, or what um, about because- that spicy um, chili powder that we oh, used? Oh, yeah, the spicy mm, chipotle powder. Yeah. That would be another good one. Just because when I was tasting the um, raw <laughs> mixture mm-hmm. filling, yes. mm-hmm. you know, of course, I, as you do, I, I, as one does. <laughs> 
That's a, I think that's just, you know, the best for your people who are going to eat it, doing a little testing up front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, this would lend itself to just a little bit of a kick. So maybe next time I might do that. But I thought, you know, for once, I'm going to stick with the actual recipe. And it turned out beautifully. I actually read both the entire recipe in advance, which meets one of my New Year's resolutions. And I know, I was very proud oh, of myself. So proud of you. And I read the comments on the Spicy Southern blog because I've noticed when I'm looking at recipes online, you can learn a lot from reading people's comments. You know, they will tell you, uh, you know, recipe said 45 minutes, but mine took more like an hour or various kind of things that will give you some hints. And one thing several people said was, If they served it shortly after they baked it or even after only a couple of hours in the fridge, that it didn't set up. And so everyone who was successful chilled it overnight. So I actually made mine yesterday, put it in the fridge about 3 p.m., and then I just sliced it. Right now it's, you know, almost 24 hours later, and it set up beautifully. I mean, Yeah, it's a fudgy brownie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And we just put a little whipping cream on top. I love this recipe. I had circled um, in her notes. She says, you cook it until there's just a little giggle in the center. And I don't know if that was a typo or not, but I just love it. I don't know if she meant jiggle, but I loved how she said, just a little giggle in the center. It's going to remind you of a pumpkin pie when you make it and take it out of the oven. So mm-hmm. um Really easy. I thought that this was also one that my kids could probably do. There's nothing hard here about um, about this pie. It's very fast, and yeah, I'm yeah. I'm, and I'm if sold. you don't, I'm sold. And if you don't like chocolate, I encourage you to do an internet search for just a regular chess pie because it's going to be the same thing just without the cocoa powder. And again, it's going to be super easy. You're probably going to have all of the ingredients on hand. I didn't put the whipped cream on top. I just sprinkled a little bit of powdered sugar on top, and that worked out great. And it was pretty. pretty. Yeah, that'd be pretty also. Yeah, quick, easy, delicious. That's the trifecta right there. So the chocolate chess pie from Spicy Southern Kitchen, we will have that up on our website, a link to that blog, uh, preheatedpodcast.com. Bake it today. It will not last long. It's our last week of pie month. And so Stefan and I wanted to share with our listeners our two favorite pies. And uh, Stefan, why don't you go first and tell us what your favorite pie is? Well, this is one of my favorite pies. I have so many favorites, but the reason that I chose this pie, which is a key lime pie, is because it's from one of my favorite stores in the U.S., and it's called the Blonde Giraffe, and it's down in the Florida Keys, and the thing I love about this key lime pie is that it's not a traditional pie. I I like a graham cracker crust and the key lime pie filling and then with the whipped cream topping, but this one's just a little different and I think it's really superior. It has a very sweet shortbread crust Mm. and then a traditional um, key lime pie filling. It's really important that you do use those key limes. They're a different species than the larger or Persian limes that you would normally find at the grocery store. And then mine is topped with meringue or aquafaba if you want to go that route now. <laughs> so what's the difference between a key lime and a Persian lime as far as flavor? I don't know that I've ever bought key limes or even seen them in the store. So key limes are very tiny. They look like a kumquat. Okay. They're very, very small. And the key lime people would tell you that they have a sharper flavor. Now, okay. just for kicks, the last time I made this recently, when I was developing this recipe, I had a Persian lime. The Persian lime is just kind of what you would see, you know, for a margarita right. or just in your grocery store next to the lemon display. I could not tell that 
significant of a difference. Um, perhaps a little sharper, a little tangier flavor. I think if if you ran out of key limes, couldn't find them at your market, you're just going to have maybe um, a softer tasting lime filling. But I, at the end of the day, eh, it's a lot of work to juice a key lime. So if you find freshly squeezed key lime juice bottled or in your market in another way, go for it. Uh, squeezing key limes is kind of like milking a cat. It's... <laughs> Um, it's a challenge. Um, so that sounds painful. But I just, I just love it. It's um, I make mine in a tart pan, so you don't even have to roll this crust out. It's almost like a sugar cookie crust, and it's very soft. You can roll it out, but I also have really great success just patting it into the pan. Ooh. And my tart pan has the ridged sides, so it's beautiful when you take it out and have those already kind of pre-crimped sides mm -hmm. waiting for you. Mm -hmm. um, if you think of a key lime pie that you might have had at a diner or um, a mass-produced key lime pie, that filling you probably are familiar with is that neon green. And so don't be shocked. Um, the natural color of this pie is more like a light lemon color. Um, mm -hmm. If that green color is really important to you and really says key lime to you, then go ahead and put some liquid food coloring in a few drops. But not necessary. It will be just a lovely kind of creamy yellow. The th other thing I love about this pie is that there's egg yolks in the filling and the same number of egg whites than for the meringue. So you're not having any kind Score. of leftover egg pieces anywhere. You're using it all. It's very, very eggy. So I do yeah, that's that. my little taste of the tropics. And I, I developed that recipe mostly because overnighting a pie from the Keys to Seattle is <laughs> mm, a little pricey. So... <laughs> Well, what happened to the blonde giraffe? You said it was a store. Was it a bakery or more like a grocery store? Yeah, it was a bakery that used to be much more prevalent in the Miami area and then down in the Keys. And uh -huh. my husband and I ate there for the first time when it was in Key West proper, which is just the very end of the Keys. And now they just have, and they had some storefronts in Miami as well, but they have um, seemed to downsize quite a bit. And oh, so it's okay. a, it's um. Yeah, it's a it's a bakery storefront. I don't know that they're making that pie on site anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, but that is the inspiration for this. And and a few years ago, my husband for my birthday recreated this as well, but he didn't write down the recipe. So um, we went back to the drawing board and <laughs> and made it again. And and I think that I made a a, a good approximation. I know we have some listeners out there um, from my family and friends who have had this as well. So. If you make my my pie and um, have that taste memory, uh, let me know how close you you thought I got. And so, Andrea, your favorite is your Marionberry, and we finally have a two crust pie to talk about. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yeah. I saw <laughs> the last week of the month. We finally got there. And and even now, we're we're just going to ease you into it um, right. because actually, this is one of the reasons this is one of my favorite pies. So it's got a couple of things going for it that I like. For one thing, Marionberries are very unique, and I don't know how readily available they are outside of the Pacific Northwest. They are a um, hybrid version of a uh, variation of a blackberry. They were developed in Oregon. They're specific to Oregon. They, uh, Oregon is now the, you know, largest producer of these. They produce something like 28 million of these a year. So I have no 28 trouble. million pounds? Yep. Oh, wow. Every year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was really actually fun reading the story of the Marionberry because they talked about how it first was released in Marion County in Oregon, and that's oh, how it got its name. Well. And they 
they the university that developed it tested it for a couple of years within the county. And I thought, oh, that would be fun if you were one of the Marionberry testers. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, I had always liked Marionberries and uh, Bon Appetit magazine. I don't remember which one, but I think it was sometime around 2014 came in the mail and it was on the cover. And it was from a restaurant in the East Cascades in Washington called the Anjou Bakery. And it was their Marionberry pie recipe. And what I've I loved heard great things about the Anjou. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, what I loved about it is the picture on the cover of Bon Appetit, which you would normally think, okay, you know, food magazine picture cover, it's going to be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Yeah. For, for their top crust, they cut like eight rectangles of pie crust and just flung them on top of the pie. And they just appeared to land wherever they might. There was no pattern. There was no, you know, beautiful thing to imitate a flower petal or anything like what? that. So they've just kind of flung them like a frisbee, and then they land. <laughs> then they're yes. just there. So, huh? So mostly, what you're seeing in the picture is the filling, right? And they put a big scoop of vanilla ice cream in the middle, which of doesn't course, hurt. You know, okay, didn't hurt, or maybe it was whipped cream. I don't remember now that I think about that. But you could definitely see the filling because the the chunks of crust were not even touching each other on the top. They were just scattered all about just kind of randomly. Um, I've tinkered with this pie over the years. Uh, The recipe from Anjou has cornstarch as the thickener. I'm not a big fan of cornstarch as a thickener. I feel like I can taste it. A thickener in your filling. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So it's kind of gritty. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm just not a huge fan of it. So I tend to use more. I will use the leftovers from when you make your pie crust. You know how you always have kind of a little bit left in the pan that maybe you didn't gather up and and put into your ball? A lot of times I'll use pieces of that. In the filling? Uh Uh-huh. Fascinating. I've never heard that. Does it kind Uh, of just melt away? It does. I mean, it's just your flour and your butter and your other stuff. That's a great Um, idea. I'm writing this down. (laughs) I'll use usually about a quarter cup of flour, like a scant quarter cup of flour. And then one thing I learned at Pie Camp, once again, that really helps is a tablespoon of the quick cooking tapioca. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's that red box from Kraft. It's a tiny little box. It's a tiny little box. My box is probably four years old. I mean, you you know, you hardly use it. And you just mix that in with your fruit filling. Of course, it's got marionberries. Of course, it's got, you know, sugar. And sometimes I play around with it. Sometimes I'll throw in some lemon zest. Sometimes I'll throw in some nutmeg. So it just sort of depends on what I feel like doing. But I just think it bakes up beautifully. You can do a traditional rolled um, top crust for it if you want. You could do a lattice crust for it if you want. Or you could cut some squares and fling them on top. <laughs> if you're feeling so edgy like Bon Appetit, yeah. Um mm-hmm. And you use a high-quality frozen fruit so you can make this year-round. Is that right? Well, so we have um, here in Olympia a farm called Spooners, and they sell marionberries for about three weeks every year. And so during that period, I go almost every day. They almost always sell out of them by 9 a.m. And they have these little stands all over town. So I will get there, you know, make sure that that's in my morning routine, and I'll buy them. And then I take them home. And when I freeze fruit, I finally learn not to just throw it into a bag and freeze it because then it turned into this enormous clump. Yep, you got to flash freeze it. 
Yeah, I will freeze it on baking sheets. Yes. So just lined up one layer on a baking sheet for about an hour. And then once it's, you know, kind of stiff and hard, then I'll go ahead and put it in the big bag. Uh, I've also seen it at um, Hagen or Top Foods. You might have that chain near you. I, the the manufacturers, when I've seen it, though, are still from the Pacific Northwest. So I just am not sure how widely distributed this is. Yeah. The other one that I'm thinking of is Remlinger Farms, which is out here in um, East King County. Um, and they do a variety of frozen fruits that are really high quality and reasonably priced. They sell those year round. And I always have Marion berries in my oatmeal in the morning. So I always Ooh. have those in the, in the freezer um, as well. Do you add well, any additional thickener? Do you do anything differently with frozen fruit, Andrea? Well, I don't add any additional thickener. And the one thing I'm supposed to do differently, and I occasionally forget, is you do need to bake it a little bit longer. Okay. And I had a recent fail. This uh, was kind of embarrassing. But I'm going to okay. share it with you guys. Thank so you. We you all know. do. That's right. That's right. So I had a friend who had a birthday, and um, I told him I would bake him a pie and ask him what kind he wanted, and he picked Marionberry, so that was perfect. And I was in a hurry when I was baking it, so I wasn't really kind of paying close attention to it. I just set the timer, you know, how you'll do, you know, 425 for 20 minutes and then 350 for another 30 minutes. Okay. And then what I need to do is pull it out and look at it and make sure it's really bubbling all the way through. Okay. And I think instead, just because I was in a hurry, I just pulled it out and moved on to the next thing. So um, that night, sadly, when the pie was cut into, it did not set up. And I like to mention this just so that you know, if there's any people out there who are intimidated by baking pie and you think like, well, I'm just never going to get to the point where I can bake a really good pie. I mean, I'm now in my, mm, I think, fifth year of fairly intensive pie baking and I still screw up. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, you make you bake enough, you're going to. That's just life. It's, yeah, it's just going to happen. And so my husband um, kindly took the pie from me, you know, put his hand sort of over the top and and poured it over the sink and just poured out right. all the juice. Right. And then we cut it up and put some ice cream on it and served it. And none the wiser, you know, people were just fine with it. So he made, gave me a great quote that I wanted to pass along. He said um, a friend of his dad's was a carpenter and he made the comment, I've been a carpenter for 60 years and I still sometimes hit my thumb. Oh, and I, I know thought, it, wise yeah, man. That, yes, that really helped me in the moment because I felt so bad, you know, and I just thought this is so embarrassing. And, you know, it was like, eh, no big deal. No, nope. and people like, are so happy to have the thought that went behind that and the, you know, the caring and the hot dessert and all of that. They're not. Yeah, I but good, you know, good point where I couldn't get my tart to tan and, you know, it's just it's going to happen. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So don't beat yourself up. Just soldier on. And, you know, ice cream covers a multitude of sins when it comes to pie. In fact, um, I think a pie milkshake is something that's really fabulous. So if it is totally unpresentable, feel free to cut that pie up and throw it into the blender with a little bit of ice cream. <gasps> I can't believe we never talked about this. At Thanksgiving time, I ran across this recipe for a pumpkin pie milkshake, and I thought, oh, oh my God. That sounds good. Yeah. It was it was literally the pie and some ice cream. I mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where, I think we've we just solved all pie fails. I should have done that with my apple pie. <laughs> I've had an apple pie milkshake, and I loved it. It was oh, really good. Yeah. Mm, all right. Now I'm going to be wanting to screw up a pie so I can make pie milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! 
let's get into our last session of pie school. And we're going to be talking about making crust ahead of time. I'm really intrigued with your thoughts on this. So my um, key lime pie that I just talked about, the crust recipe actually makes enough for two pies. And I have historically just wrapped that really well in plastic, put it then into a Ziploc bag and frozen it. And I seem to have some pretty good result for that. Um, Do you have any guidelines for keeping an extra crust um, in the fridge? Do you even go so far as to roll it out, put it in a pie tin, put it in the freezer? What what kind of things do you do ahead that um, have been successful for you? Um, I have one thing that I do typically, and then I have one thing that I've started doing recently, and I want to experiment more with it. So my typical procedure, I think it's Um, can be kind of a lot of work to make a pie just in terms of the mess, you know, because you kind of got the flour sprinkled all over and once you're rolling, you know, you got flour on everything. So in my mind, it's just as easy to make, I don't know, you know, three recipes of pie crust as it is to make one. So you're going to end up with six balls of dough. And then I do exactly what you just did. I wrap it tightly in plastic wrap. And then before I put it in the Ziploc, the one thing I have learned is I put a date on top of it. Okay. Because if I end up making more, more, I want to make sure I'm grabbing, you know, the older ones before the more recent ones. Yeah, right, right. I think that crust will last in the freezer um, maybe six months or a year. I've never waited that long, so I don't know for sure. Um, I know it'll at least last several months because I have I have had it in there at least two or three months. Then I started thinking, well, if I can do my crust ahead of time, um, why don't I do my fillings ahead of time as well? And so, you know, like think about the Marionberry pie and, you know, you're putting in the sugar and the lemon zest and all that. Again, I would sort of do all of that. And then um, I would lay it um not on a baking sheet because it's it's liquidy, but I would just kind of put it in a Ziploc bag, but lay it flat. Okay. And um, I would freeze the filling that way. In and the, I think that, not in the pie. Not in the pie. No, just a frozen filling. And so then I would label it, you know, Marionberry pie filling or whatever, put a date on it. And again, when it comes time to cook these, um, I think with the crust, the key is to take it out the day before mm-hmm. and let it let it thaw in the refrigerator before you're going to use it. Um, with the fillings, I don't take those out ahead of time okay. uh, because then they get so juicy. And um, sometimes that would cause my filling not to set up properly. So... Well, I'm interested in doing a whole pie. So say, for example, you were just you would do everything like you were going to pop it in the oven and instead you popped it in the freezer. And we had a a friend of our family when my brother and I were growing up who looked after us in the summers. And one thing that she liked to do, we would go out picking blackberries just kind of along the side of the road as they grow wild here in the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And how she would kind of repay that is she would make us all a pie with the Mm -hmm. stuff we had picked and then send it home and we would we would put it in the freezer. And I'm just wondering if you or maybe some listeners out there know, I've completely forgotten how 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 to do that. <laughs> and then again, how to how to bake it. There's got to be something special. Do you just throw it straight from the freezer into the oven? Do you, do you I don't think you would thaw it. That seems like it could make it really liquidy. 
Well, so I would not have been able to answer this question um uh, you know, a couple of months ago. But as it turned out, as an auction item recently, I donated some pies. That's right. And um, the person who won the donation contacted me, um, I think it was maybe two days f- before I was about to go out of town for my three-week road trip. And she was like, hey, can I get those pies for um, I think she decided she wanted them for Thanksgiving or Christmas. I can't remember the details. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? I can't. Yeah, I'm you're going to be gone. Be here. Right. Yeah. And so I did do some research on freezing a whole pie. And um, I didn't personally taste it, but she assured me that they did turn out very good. Okay. So I did um, an apple a marionberry, and a pecan. Okay. Now, since that time, I have read you should not do egg-based or cream-based. So the pecan does have quite a bit of egg in it. So, But she said it turned out fine. Um, but I, I might maybe put a question mark by that one until I try it myself. I'm not, not sure I would recommend it. But maybe the also the time it was in the freezer was quite brief. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, that's true. That's yeah. a good point. It was only in there for about, I think it was about a week or two okay. before the, okay. the event hit. Um, so I made my crust and I rolled it out and I put it in the pans. I did not blind bake or pre-bake the crust. Right. They were still raw. Um, And then I made my fillings and I put those in the pan and then I put it all in the freezer for, oh, about an hour, maybe two Okay. Um, so that it kind of stiffened up. Okay. And um, in her case, I actually gave her the pans that I was using, um, and I di- and I didn't need them back. Right. But when I was reading about doing this, the reason for putting it in the freezer for like an hour or two is if you want to just save the frozen pie, but not in the pan, because most people don't have multiple pie pans laying around. Oh. You you could actually put it in hot water for just a little bit, and it would the pop out, it, and it would pop out. Oh. And so then you wrap it in just a big plastic bag, wrap it really tightly. And yeah, you can keep completely frozen whole pies in the freezer, which when you think about it, I mean, that's if you go to the grocery store and you buy a Mrs. Smith's or whatever, or Marie Callender's, that's what you're getting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. This is wonderful. I mean, I think my idea of Nirvana might be opening my chest freezer to find it stacked full to the brim with frozen pie. (laughs) Isn't that a great feeling? I know. It's like you're ready for anything that might happen. And I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that would work with like a savory, like a chicken pot pie or something then too. I don't see why not. I mean, again, maybe you want to look at how much of cream or uh, egg you're using because, you know, I I know those don't freeze as well. Um, But if it was more of a chicken stock-based chicken pie. Yeah, maybe uh, you'd want to just cook that that feeling ahead of time. But anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, wonderful. I'm really happy to hear all of that. The one trick I did read about, and this was what I recommended to my auction winner, they did say you really want to take it out of the freezer the day before and let it thaw overnight in the refrigerator. You do not want to pull it straight from your oven and or straight from your freezer and put it in your oven. Okay. That's probably what like a box says too, like let it stand at room temperature for a while. I'm guessing. Yeah. I don't I don't know. But yeah, um, works a lot better if you let it thaw overnight. Good points. What an enlightening last episode of Pie School, Andrea. I've had so much fun oh. with Pie School this month. And you know, just because National Pie Month is coming to a close certainly doesn't mean that we will not be revisiting pie many times in the rest of the, the 10 months of, of 2017. Uh, there's many more pies in our future, and we would love to hear 
more about yours. So listeners, if you're if you're cooking up pies and let us know about it. We want to we want to hear about new and unusual ones and, and ones we haven't tried and, and ones we have. So yeah, you, you guys probably noticed if you follow our Facebook page, Stefan going rogue a little bit during Pie Month. And she baked one up. I think it was for the Super Bowl, right? The it was. And I didn't mean to cause you panic. You're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Wait, what is this? Which Did I say this? I would bake this? What are we talking about? Banana cream pie? <laughs> Sorry. And, and you were just like, no, I just made it. I, I was, was just like, like oh. you know what? I feel like a pie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens a lot. Always, during, right? Especially during pie month. Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we kick off March with puddings and custards. From tapioca to rice pudding, these comforting and old-fashioned desserts have stood the test of time for a reason, and they're perfectly cozy for the tail end of winter and the beginning of spring. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and download us on iTunes. We'd love it if you stopped by to subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review. Both things will help others find us. So until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.